Welcome to Purdue Commercial Agcast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Minter, director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. And joining me today is Michael Langemeyer, professor of ag economics here at Purdue. We're gonna review the results from the February Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Survey of farmers from across the nation. Each month, we survey 400 farmers from across the US to learn more about their perspective on the ag economy. This month's Ag Barometer Survey was conducted from the 15th through the 19th of February. And Michael, it was kind of interesting. The Ag Economy Barometer weakened just a little bit this month to a reading of 165. That was down just two points compared to last month, uh, but down about 18 points from its peak, which was back in February when the index topped out at 183. And if you look at it under the hood, so to speak, uh, it's kind of interesting. People are pretty optimistic about current conditions on their farm, but less so about future expectations. What's your take? Yeah, that certainly explains why the index is down from the October number, uh, where the index was 183 and, and February 165. Uh, the reduction is, in, is in, in the index of future expectations. The index of current conditions is very strong. Uh, in fact, it, it's it's very close to a record, if not a record, uh, with an index value of 200 for the index of current conditions. Yeah, that index of current conditions basically is record high. I think the top was 201 back in, I think, December. Uh, we were at 199 in January, 200 this month. So it's basically just hanging in there at record high level. The index of future expectations dropped three points to 148. And that's the third month out of the last four months that that index of future expectations has declined. So it's clear that people are a little less optimistic about the future than they were back in October, whereas they're telling us current conditions on their farming operations are very strong. And, you know, we ask a question periodically that says, um, do you expect your farm's financial performance to be better than, worse than, or about the same as last year? And the change in responses uh, to this question since last summer is quite remarkable. Back in July, just 12% of the people in our survey said they expected their farm's financial performance to be better than it was in the prior year. That was rising as we went through the course of the fall. Here in February, 37%. So three times as many people in February said they expect their farm's financial performance to be better than last year. So I think that really helps explain what's going on with that current condition index, don't you? Yeah, that definitely helps explain why the, the index of current conditions is so strong. It also helps explain why the index of current conditions is, is higher than the index of future expectations, which is a reversal. Uh, you know, you, until about October or so of last year, September, October of last year, uh, the index of future expectations tended to be higher uh, than the index of current conditions. And we essentially flipped that uh, in, in the last few months. Uh, and part of that is, 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 is people think this is 2021 is going to be a really good year. Uh, and that's saying a lot uh, because 2020 was, was a very good income year for a lot of producers. Yeah, good point. And then if you think about why are people a little bit negative about the future or more so or maybe less optimistic is a better way to put that uh, than they were going back, say, in October. There's really a couple of things going on here. Uh, first of all, uh, despite this ramp up in exports to China, people are less optimistic about how the trade dispute with China is going to ultimately be resolved. Uh, we've been asking a question going back to the beginning of 2020. It says, do you think the trade dispute with China will ultimately be resolved in a way that benefits U.S. agriculture? And as recently as June, 65% of the people in the survey said, yeah, we think it'll be resolved in a way that's good for U.S. ag. 
that number continues to come down. And here in the February survey, that was just 37% of the people in the survey saying, yeah, we think this trade dispute with China was going to be resolved in a way that's good for U.S. agriculture. So people are, they're, even though trade has been positive here lately in terms of boosting commodity prices, especially for corn soy, and soybeans, um, longer term, they've still got some reservations. And then you tag along with that, you know, we've been asking questions both before and after the election. And people have been telling us consistently that they're concerned about the direction that future environmental and tax policy is gonna go. Uh, and so that's created some kind of underlying concerns as well. So you've kind of got this differential impact here. People are pretty optimistic about what's going on right now and maybe for the rest of 2021, but down the road, they've kind of got these reservations. Is that kind of your take on it, Michael? Yeah, and this it all it's almost like, well, that's it has to be what they're thinking on this trade that the, the the current strong exports that we have, they think that's an aberration or that's not going to continue uh, down the road. That's obviously must be uh, must must be be in the back of their mind, you know, and and maybe they also think the the price impact, uh, the price the prices are going to remain relatively strong this year, but perhaps drop down, uh, you know, as you get into 2022. I might be reading too much into that, but but I think that helps explain why the index of future expectations is not higher. Uh, than, than it is. Yeah, good point. So if you look at it, uh, the Farm Capital Investment Index, which is in a way kind of a measure of, of longer term perspective, it did soften or weaken just a bit this month to a reading of 88. Um, that's five points lower than, than it was uh, last month. And, and that was basically the peak, that 93 reading. And that was the highest it's ever been and, and going back to when we started the survey in, in 2015. However, before you get too negative, that 88, is still way above where it was this time last year. 88 on that farm capital investment index compares to 72 a year ago. So if you look at it from that perspective, if you didn't see the 93 on there, you'd say, gee, that 88 looks great. So really it's still a pretty positive environment with respect to people making investments uh, in their farming operation and things like buildings and, and farm equipment. When you look at the follow-up question we started asking just in March of 2020, which is, what are your plans for farmers treated purchases in the upcoming year compared to a year ago? Um, it did weaken a little bit in February versus January. In January, 15% of the people in the survey said they plan to have higher or larger farmers treated purchases in the upcoming year compared to a year ago. In February, that did drop back to 9%. So there is a little less optimism uh, with respect to making some of those big investments than what we saw you know, back in the fall, for example but uh, still a pretty positive environment for making large investments. What's your take? I think this is very consistent with the uncertainty of where corn and soybean prices in particular are gonna be in the fall. Uh, if you look at the possible distribution of, of future prices, as you go into November soybeans and December corn, they're very wide. Uh, you know, possibility of corn being below four or being above, uh, above 550. Uh, you, know, you know, both of those have a, 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 a you know, a positive prob prob probability uh, that's not zero by any stretch. Uh, the same with soybeans. And so I think that's part of what's contributing, uh, you know, contributing uh, to the 9%. Uh, they think that they're, they're going to have higher machinery purchases. It's just that uncertainty. Uh, if some of that in uncertainty is resolved uh, as we move through the summer, I think we'll see that percentage increase. So farmland, people are pretty bullish about farmland values. When we ask people about their farmland price expectations 12 months ahead, 
we got the most positive response we've ever gotten since we've been doing the survey. Over half the people in the survey, 51% said they expected to see higher farmland values 12 months ahead. And if we look at the five-year question, when we ask people their farmland price expectations five years from now, three months in a row, we've had more than 60% of the people in the survey tell us they expected to see farmland values rise over the course of the next five years. That's the only time in the survey that we've ever been above 60%. So this month was a little lower than last month at 62% versus 64. But I think the big picture there is they're still above 60%. Pretty darn bullish about farmland values, both short run and long run, right? And just to put the in perspective, the, uh, uh, the farmland prices in the next 12 months, there's only been three months where that percentage, I think it's gonna be higher, has been over 30% and it's the last three months. Yeah, uh, that tells you how bullish they are uh, compared to, to the life of this survey. We also asked this time about cash rental expectations for 2021 versus 2020. And there's been a change these last couple of months. So you go back to December, 18% of the people in the survey said they expected to see higher farmland uh, cash rental rates in 2021 versus 2020. That rose to 27% in January, rose again here in February to 36% pretty consistent with what we saw with respect to farmland values and and uh, markedly different than what people were telling us last summer. You know, last summer, uh, eight, nine percent of the people in the survey said we'd see higher cash rental rates. Now we're at 36 percent. So um, uh, suggest we're going to see a pretty strong farmland cash rental rate here in 2021 and, and perhaps, you know, looking into 2022, right? I think it depends on that financial performance. This is this question is very consistent with a question related to financial performance. There was 37% thought financial performance was going to be relatively strong in 21. 36% think cash rents are going to go up. And so if, if, if prospects for 2020, 2022 uh, look at even close uh, to what like what they are for 2020 and 2021, uh, we're going to see continued upward pressure, not only in 2021, but 2022. So each winter, uh, I think going back to the first year we did the survey, Michael, uh, we've been asking people about their growth rate expectations for their farming operation over the next five years. And the way we phrase the question is, what is a reasonable annual growth rate expectation you have for your farm over the next five years? And the results to this question each year have been quite interesting. So 50% of the people in the survey said they either have no plans to grow over the next five years, or perhaps even reduce the size of their farm or perhaps even exit uh, or retire from farming. Half the people in the survey. On the other end of the spectrum, 9% of the people in the survey said they expect to see their farm grow pretty rapidly. In fact, 9% of them said that they expect to see a growth rate of 10% or more each year over the next five years. What's your take? This is a really interesting, this is a really interesting question to see the disparity uh, in growth plans is always amazing. Uh, but I think it points to two different things. First of all, there is a group of farms always, but it continues today that are bringing a family member back to the business or multiple family members back to the business. You expect those people to be growing rather relatively rapidly to, to absorb uh, the family member and make sure there's enough income uh, for all the family members that are in the business. I think it also points to the divergence and profitability in production agriculture. It's no different than any other industry uh, but but in production agriculture, there's when I've done my analysis, long-term analysis, there's about 50% that do not have a lot of money left over after they've withdrawn money for, for family living and paid income taxes 
to grow. And so they just simply don't have the cash flow uh, in, in order to expand, even if they wanted to. That's very consistent with the 50% here that have no plans to grow or plans to reduce their farm size. And so I think part of this is a transition uh, planning issue. I think also part of it is, is just reflecting the divergence in profitability among farms and production agriculture. Yeah, that's a good point. The other thing that I like to look at is if, if you're looking at trying to go back to a family farming operation uh, that has intentions of growing over time, there's going to be some opportunities, right? With 50% of the farms out there uh, necessarily thinking about either exiting or shrinking over the next five years, that's going to create some opportunities. Now, those farms are in general, probably not the largest farms out there. So those individual opportunities might not be huge, but over time that creates some opportunities for some young people coming back into the business. Um, so that's kind of interesting to think about it from that way. It does create some opportunities and it does point to further consolidation in the farm sector from a longer term perspective, but that's a very long-term trend and, and probably no reason to expect to see that change. Well, one of the things that has been interesting in agriculture really the last several years, but especially the last 12 months or so has been the real ramping up of interest in plant-based alternatives to animal protein. And in light of that, we decided to ask a few questions and to learn a little bit more about farmers' perspective on all this. So one of the questions we asked was, considering the overall market for animal and plant-based protein, what do you expect the market share of these alternative protein sources will be five years from now? And we really had no a priori expectations with respect to what the responses would be. So I was really interested in seeing what people had to say. Roughly a third, three out of 10 uh, of the producers in the survey said they expect the market share of, this, of these protein sources to be very small, uh, less than 1%. But 55% of the people in the survey said they think the market share is going to be somewhere between 1% and 10%. And we didn't try and narrow it down any more than that. So we, we gave them a fairly broad band. But still, those are that's a group of people that think this, this is going to take off a little bit. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there is a small number of people that think this could be a really big deal. 12% um, of the survey, so 1 out of 10, said they think the market share could be as much as 10 to 20% over the next five years. And then there's a few people that really think it's gonna ramp up and 3% of the people in the survey said they thought the market share could be as large as 20 to 30%. So what's your take? I don't I don't think either one of us had an a priori here in terms of what people are gonna say, but I think people are thinking about this as kind of my take. Yeah, I, I didn't really know what to expect, but, but certainly if this gets to be 10% or above, it's a game changer. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it. And truthfully, I would probably argue if it's in that five to ten percent range, it's probably a game changer. I don't that's think that's big. Really have, yeah, I don't, you compare I don't, that to some other other th issues, other things like organic and, and some of these other other products. You know, five five percent's big. Yeah, that was that's kind of my take, and if in a short span of time too. Uh, so, um, so we'd asked a follow up question: uh, If plant based meat alternatives eventually have a market share that equals twenty five percent, so that'd be on the high end of what we had got responses for in that previous question, equals 25% of the overall market for animal and plant-based protein. What do you expect will happen to aggregate net farm income in the US? And, you know, I guess my take is, I think there's a pretty widespread recognition among the people in the survey, six out of 10 said it's gonna be negative. It's gonna hurt farm income. Now the magnitude of the decline depends on probably what they think the market share is really gonna be, but uh, what four out of 10 said they thought uh, aggregate farm income would decline 10% or more. Uh, two out of 10 uh, said that they said 
aggregate farm income would probably fall about 5%. And then 30% said we didn't really expect to see any change. So um, that's really kind of interesting. I think there is this kind of underlying concern about if this plant-based alternatives really start to take off, what does that mean to farm income and what does that mean to what we're doing? And of course, you know, when I think about it, Michael, when I think about corn and soybeans, you know, it's a heavily feed grain based economy, right? So uh, it really does potentially shake things up quite a bit. Yeah, like we said, even go back 5%, 10%, that would really shake things up. So I think we're, we're, this is a topic area we're going to continue to pursue periodically to learn more about what's taking place and what people are thinking. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves over time. But uh, it's clearly something that people are maybe starting to think about a little bit. So with that, I'm going to wrap up our uh, our discussion of uh, the February Ag Economy Barometer Survey. Uh, you can get the, the full report with all the details and the charts at our website, purdue.edu slash agbarometer. And you can also join us for our next corn and soybean outlook webinar, which will follow the release of USDA's March World Ag Supply Demand Estimate Report. And that'll be on Wednesday, March 10 at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so the WASDA report comes out the day before, Tuesday, March 9th. We'll have the analysis available the following day on Wednesday, March 10. And you get more details about that uh, webinar and all the other information available from the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture at our website, purdue.edu slash commercial ag. And so with that, I want to thank Michael Langemeyer for joining us on today's podcast. And on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minter. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.